This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. Well, if you're like me, you're still smarting after yesterday's uh, recovering from tax day. Now, congratulations if you've gotten your return done or at least gotten an extension filed. You've lived to fight another day or lived to pay another day. What kills me about my taxes this year is that I owed the state and they yanked, well, I gave it to them, $2,000 out of my bank account, but the federal government owes me. So I'm going to have to wait around a couple of weeks, month, maybe two months for that refund to come back. Now, all I could think is if I'm getting a net amount of money back from the federal government, can't somehow the federal government and the state communicate with each other so that I, I'm not, I don't have to beg, borrow and steal and collect all my recyclables, take them to the grocery store. So I have enough money in my account yesterday to make sure they can, they can take it. Well, that is one of the many, many things about the tax code that I find uh, troublesome, complicated, confusing. And that's one of the reasons why people like me spend a lot of money hiring CPAs to file even very simple tax forms. I've tried to read a great deal about the tax code over the years. I've looked into all sort of, uh, all sorts of alternative tax plans, but by far the best book I've ever read on the tax code and the way that, uh, lays it out simply and explores global alternatives to this crazy system we have here in the United States is a book called A Fine Mess, A Global Quest for a Simpler, Fairer, and More Efficient Tax System. Now, the problem with its author, T.R. Reed, is he's just not qualified at really anything. I mean, sure, he was uh, a Princeton graduate. Sure, he was a military veteran. Sure, he's written about eight or nine books, a couple of them in Japanese, translated a couple of books into Japanese. Sure, he's a documentarian, an author, a lecturer. But I'm really hoping uh, now that he's coming on this show, he'll start learning to apply himself and start uh, doing some interesting things. He has reported from more than four dozen countries on five continents for all sorts of publications. Gives me a great deal of pleasure to welcome T.R. Reed. Mr. Reed, thanks so much for joining me. Happy Tax Day. Yeah, happy Tax Day, Frank. You know, we could solve your problem. If you move to Japan, the tax day there is March 15th, and all refunds have to be paid by April 1st. Uh, doesn't that sound nice? Now, I want to get into uh, – you write a lot about Japan and New Zealand in your book, A Fine Mess, which even though it's a few years old, is I think still more relevant than ever given some of the changes the tax code has gone uh, gone over. But as I have alluded to, you've focused a lot on many different subjects over the years. You could have written about anything. What made you choose to write about the tax code and go on sort of this global research project examining the tax code? in country after country and comparing it to ours. Yeah, thanks, Frank. I'll tell you how that happened. So, you know, I was a foreign correspondent for the Washington Post and PBS. So our family of five Americans lived around the world. And, you know, every once in a while, my son fell off his skateboard in Tokyo and broke his ankle. I had a daughter who had earaches. And we had to go to the doctor. And we discovered that going to the doctor in Japan, Britain, Germany, other countries, was the care was just as good in the United States. You didn't have to wait, and the bills were like one-third or one-fourth of what we paid in the U.S. So I was trying to figure out, how can they do that? How can they provide very good care at one-quarter of our cost? And I went around the world to visit doctors, and I wrote a book. It's called uh, The Healing of America, 
uh, and it did really well. That book was a bestseller, and my publisher was thrilled by this. So my publisher said, let's do some more. Let's do some more comparative policy and see what other countries do better than we do. And we hit on tax policy because the U.S. has the most complicated tax system in the world. Uh, It takes people longer. We spend more time and spend much more money than anybody in any other rich country doing taxes. The other countries have figured this out in a way that the U.S. Congress can't seem to do it. And so that's why I went around the world and sort of filed Form 1040 in 10 or 12 different countries to see how it worked. I think a lot of us can uh, relate to the complicated nature of the problems with America's tax code. I think whatever the tax rate is and wherever people fall, you're always going to find Americans, maybe even just people in general, thinking that their taxes are too high. But is the fundamental problem with the American tax code, the fact that it's so difficult to understand, is that the problem or are there broader problems? That's the biggest problem, I think. Our taxes not too high relative to Western Europe, Japan, South Korea, Australia, and other democracies, people pay more in tax than the U.S. does. Uh, One reason is the U.S. is able to fund its huge government through borrowing. We borrow more money than any other country. Um, So it's not that the rates are too high. And as a matter of fact, if you believe that rich people should pay a higher rate of tax than lower income people, The U.S. is good at that, too. We have a more progressive tax system than other countries. We've just made it so hard. It's just vastly harder here. In in Japan, for example, and in Britain, a couple other countries, Netherlands, you know, all those lines to fill in your 17% of line 6D and stuff like that. The government does it for you. They know all the numbers. They know how much you earned. They know how much interest you made. They know how much mortgage you paid. And they fill in the form for you and send it to you. If it looks right, you just initial it and you're done in two minutes. Uh, I w- they do that in Japan. They send out a completed form. If you don't like it, you can do your own. But my, I said to my friend uh, Togo, I said, hey, I want to see you file your tax return. He says, well, I just, I just checked this box. That's all I do. And I said, gee, that's terrible. You know, in America, people spend weeks or even longer filling out forms and looking up numbers and calculating. And Togo says to me, why would anybody want to do that? <laughs> uh, How we did... don't have to do it. I mean, return-free filing seemed, and I know different people in America have proposed this over the course of the last half century, and everyone except tax preparers seem to like the idea. But before we get into the the virtues of why this is something America should consider and why it's worked well elsewhere, how did our tax code become so complicated, and why did it become so complicated? You know, it started out simple. The federal income tax began in 1913. Um, Only about 4% of Americans paid tax originally. It was the Astors and the Rockefellers and the Vanderbilts. And the top rate was 9% back then. And then we got into World War I. We got into World War II. We had to expand the tax base to bring in more money. And And then people realized that you can use the tax code to encourage good behavior and discourage bad behavior, like the federal government thinks it's a good idea for people to own houses rather than rent them. 
So they give you a tax break for a mortgage payment that's supposed to encourage people to take a mortgage and buy houses. There's a tax break if you buy an electric car. There's a tax break if you recycle an old tractor. There are thousands of tax breaks in there. And it's a it's a boon to a member of Congress if she can come up with some tax break that helps her constituents like farmers or lumbermen or whatever. Um, she can brag about that. And it's easy to add because in Congress, everybody votes for the next tax break. They all like them. Uh, so it's a function of politicians getting a short term political benefit. And all that adds up to a very complicated return with more deductions, more loopholes than people can keep track of. Yes, that's right. So if you give a tax break for electric cars, for example, well, then the people who make hydrogen powered trucks, have that same tax break. So they hire lobbyists. The lobbyists give money to Congress and Congress can establish that tax break. Uh, it's scratch my back, you scratch your back kind of policy. Um, generally, Congress adds somewhere between 100 and 200 new taxes to the most of which apply to a fairly small population, so we don't know about them. But every one of them requires another line on some IRS form. So we go back to the issue of return fee filing, Uh, what Japan does, what other countries do, where you don't have to file your own tax return. The government just does does this all for you. Aside from not having to hire an accountant, why is this why is this better? I, I know you mentioned in Japan, if you don't like the government's math, you can do it on your own and submit it on your own. Um, I certainly wouldn't want to do that. But why is that system better than what we have? Um, well, for one thing, it's much simpler for people. The IRS estimates that an average family spends something over uh, 24 hours a year just gathering data and getting the numbers ready. An average family in the U.S. spends $260 for a tax preparer. A lot of people spend more than that. Um, in Japan and the Netherlands and Britain, that cost is zero. There is no H&R block in European countries. There's no need for it because they've made it simpler. So there's that. And then people make a lot of mistakes. You enter the number wrong. You put the decimal in the wrong place. You multiply wrong by 18.46% or something. The, if the government fills out your form, they get it right. So Frank, get this. The IRS every year sends out about 20 million forms called a 1020L notice. And this is a notice that says on line 38, you entered $4,312, but it should have been 4,856. And when I get that, I think, well, if they knew that all along, why did I have to dig through all the records and <laughs> enter that number? They knew it. And they could fill out that form for just about everybody and send it to you, and you could decide if you like it. And the reason they can't is because companies like Input, uh, that's uh, tax block, and H block uh, return companies lobby against this. They have successfully lobbied to st- efforts to have the IRS fill out our taxes for us. Uh, if people just tuning in, we're talking with T.R. Reid. He is a longtime correspondent for the Washington Post. Uh, he's been a reporter all over the world, also a documentarian a journalist and the author of a terrific book called A Fine Mess, A Global Quest for a Simpler, Fairer, and More Efficient Tax System. So it's just because the tax preparers, H&R Block and so forth, 
have such a powerful lobby and have so much influence within Congress that that's the only thing that stopped us from a return free filing system? Yeah, that's why every year there are about uh, 20 different members of Congress from both parties who introduce a bill saying the IRS should be able to fill out your return for you if you want, and then you can decide to do it. And this bill never passes because of lobbying. I mean, millions of dollars worth of lobbying from the tax preparation industry, not only those those uh, ones you name, but, you know, tax accountants all over the country form together and fight this. It's their line of work. I mean, it, this is a multi-billion dollar industry helping us do our taxes. Um, it's just galling to me because the IRS knows all the numbers. They could do it for us, but we're not allowed to because of the way our politics work. There's a great deal of cynicism among the average American taxpayer, particularly among the average talk radio listener. And a lot of people in our audience, I can almost see them groaning at their radios now. They're saying, oh, you want me to trust the government to know that uh, I'm paying them the right amount of taxes? No, they're always going to try and rip me off. What do you say to that cynical New Yorker or New Jerseyan that has very little trust that the government has their best financial interests at heart about why they shouldn't fear a return a free filing system? Uh, well, the government's main interest is to collect the money at low cost. And the fewer errors they get on tax returns, the cheaper and easier it is for to collect the money that they need to build highways and pay for the army and make sure drugs are safe and all the other things government does. Uh, so that's their main interest. Yeah, I think uh, I, the government would like to take in more money but mainly, they want to make their job as easy as possible. And if they could fill in the numbers, which they already know, they have all those numbers, there'd be fewer mistakes, and it would be just much simpler for them to collect the money and be much simpler for us to pay. And it, what, you write in your book that basically we have a real opportunity for tax reform every 30 years. Happened in the mid-50s, happened in the mid-80s, and then uh, you know around 2018 it happened again. It seems like all these broad tax reform plans, whether they're bipartisan, whether they're one party or another, they all begin with the same premise, reduce the number of deductions reduce the number of loopholes and get lower rates. And it seems like everybody, whenever they come up with their plan, that's where we end up. But then when you start going through which deductions to do away with, whether it's mortgage interest, whether it's uh, local uh, property and sales taxes, uh, state and local property taxes, that's when people start howling. Uh, Given the political realities and that every deduction in the tax code has, I guess, some supporters, do you think we'll ever see broad-based tax reform with lower rates, less loopholes, fewer deductions? I think we will. Uh, And the reason I'm confident about that is the year 1986. In 1986, a Republican president, Ronald Reagan, and a a Democratic Congress led by Tip O'Neill got together and vastly simplified the tax code. They eliminated hundreds and hundreds of those uh, deductions. And the way they made people accept that was they reduced the rates. They reduced the top rate of tax from 70% to 28%. So the argument was uh, it's simpler to fill out your return. You don't get the deduction, but you're paying less on the amount of tax you report anyway. 
Uh, that was a trade-off that worked in 86. In 2017, we had the last big tax reform, and Congress talked about that. They said that's what we're going to do, dump a bunch of deductions and lower rates. Um, in the end, they lowered the rates somewhat and didn't really reduce any, Very few deductions were eliminated, so they really didn't do it. They listened more to the lobbyists than to the tax economists. And um, one of the things that uh, that you write a great deal about in your book, and it's something that because Americans have never had this on a regular basis, I don't know that they fully understand it, is the idea of a value-added tax or, or a VAT. In a nutshell, what is a value-added tax? How does it work overseas? How would it work here? Yeah, the VAT was invented in the 1950s. It was the best tax invention of the last 100 years. And now uh, about 170 countries, all the rich countries, have a value-added tax. And here's why. It works like a sales tax. You know, you go into a store and buy a coat. It's 100 bucks, but you end up paying $108 because of the sales tax. But in America, that only applies at the retail level when you and I go in and buy the coat. A VAT, a value-added tax, is a sales tax at every level. Uh, the guy who buys the wool to make the coat pays a tax. The guy who buys the buttons pays a tax. The guy, the wholesaler pays a tax. The merchant, the retailer pays a tax. And each time they report to the government, I paid this tax. So it turns out to be self-enforcing. It's a tax you can't avoid. And uh, therefore, it turns out to be a very effective way for governments to raise money. And most of them, when they put in the value-added tax, <clears throat> then eliminate or sharply reduce the income tax because the VAT turns out to be a better way for governments to raise the money to pay for the army and the highways and the other things they do. I mean, it sounds a lot like the tax plan that Ted Cruz uh, ran on when he ran for president, except he didn't call it a VAT. He called it a business flat tax, which is, I guess, something that he felt was more palatable to conservative-leaning audiences. And you write that the VAT tax has become something of a cautionary tale in Washington circles, right? Yeah. So um, both parties kind of oppose the VAT tax. And here's why. The Republicans who don't like taxes call it a money machine. And the reason is quite often the value-added tax is hidden in the price of the book. Like uh, if if you buy a, a book in Britain for 25 pounds, that book really only cost 22 pounds, 40 pence, and the rest was taxed, but you don't see it. There's just one price. And therefore, it's easy to raise that tax. In mm. fact, during the recession, Britain raised its value-added tax, and nobody knew. So Republicans don't like that. It's a hidden tax. Taxes should be obvious. Democrats don't like it because it's a tax on consumption, on things you buy, and therefore it's regressive. It's a harder tax for poor people to pay than for rich people to pay. Now, there are ways to deal with both of those problems, but because of those two issues, the U.S. has never accepted a value-added tax. And uh, I, I mentioned Ted Cruz referring to it as a business flat tax. That term, flat tax, has become very popular in a lot of conservative circles. Steve Forbes, when he ran for president in 96 and 2000, he made that the linchpin of his whole candidacy. And in fact, he blamed a lot of the same folks that you said are stopping return-free filing 
for not implementing a flat tax, H&R Block and so forth. A lot of other countries, including former Soviet countries like Russia, they've moved in the direction of a flat tax. Given your analysis of the countries that have the flat tax around the world, how would it work here? You think Steve Forbes is onto something? No, it doesn't work, unfortunately. Many people, many uh, politicians have proposed a flat tax. It just doesn't work. As, as you say, it was tried in about 12 Eastern European countries after they got out of the Soviet Union. And as you saw, Frank, I went to those countries in my book, and most of them have given up. It, the flat tax doesn't work. And here's why. Let's say you have a tax where everybody pays 16% of their income. That's the flat rate. Sounds fair, right? Everybody pays the same. The problem is you can't, raise enough, you can't raise enough revenue at, at that one rate. And so you have to keep raising the rate, 19%, 22%. In Hungary now, it's 27%. And uh, that's still easy for rich people to pay, but it gets harder and harder for poor people to pay 27% of what they buy uh, in taxes. So it's better, and other countries have gradually switched back to graduated rates where rich people pay a higher rate of tax, uh, to me, the important thing about tax is how much you have left after you pay the tax. So you take a guy who made $100 million last year, he pays tax at 37%. He's still got $70 million in the bank. Uh, whereas somebody who made 20000 if he had to pay that same flat rate, he'd have almost nothing left. So uh, the flat tax is an interesting idea on paper. It has never worked, and that's why we're never going to do it in America because you can't raise enough money without gouging poor people to do it. Uh, we're here in New York. Our former mayor, Mike Bloomberg, was very into something called a fat tax. He wanted a tax on sugar, wanted a tax on soda. Our new mayor, Eric Adams, is very much into public health issues as well. I wouldn't be surprised to see him proposing something like this. I know Mexico and maybe some other countries have pursued the idea of a tax on sugary foods or foods that make you fat. How has that worked out around the country, around the world? You know, that works. Uh, that works in many countries. Uh, the reason Mexico did it was uh, many, many Mexican communities, communities had lousy public water supplies. People actually buying Coca-Cola because cheaper to drink than the water in their tap. And so Mexico put on this tax. It sharply decreased the consumption of sugared beverages. And then they used the money to improve local water supply systems so that people could drink water from the tap. It's worked really well, and it's also been connected with a pretty sharp drop in obesity in Mexico and a drop in tooth decay. So countries that put a, a Bloomberg might have been right. I don't think he implemented his plan very well, but the idea of taxing sugared foods and sugared beverages has worked in other countries. Penultimately, before I let you go, we hear from a lot of folks on the um, on the side of the climate, the green energy lobby, that what we need to look at is a carbon tax, a tax on pollution to get less pollution going. I know some other countries have experimented with that. How has that worked out? Uh, the European Union has a carbon tax, and it's it's worked quite well. It, I mean, uh, there's there's kind of a stronger political movement in Europe to reduce greenhouse gases anyway. 
but it has led to a reduction in carbon emissions and it has led to innovations in transportation and manufacturing to reduce carbon emissions. So I, I think that's a system that has worked pretty well. Um, the, the problem is there are certain favorite industries. Do you want your local hospital to have to pay a tax when it runs the furnace? And therefore, there, people write a lot of exemptions. It gets complicated, but the basic principle seems to have worked in other countries. Lastly, whenever New York raises its taxes, which is far too often for my taste, believe me, we always <laughs> yeah. see a flood of articles about people moving to states with no income tax, like Florida, like Texas, like Nevada. And uh, nationally and internationally, a lot of folks say the same thing will happen. If we keep raising taxes, then we'll see folks that have means to move elsewhere to countries that don't have an income tax. You mentioned a couple of countries, the United Arab Emirates for one, that have essentially no tax, no income tax, uh, very little uh, very little other form of tax, no inheritance tax, no wealth tax. Why aren't all of America's billionaires moving to countries like the United Arab Emirates? Well, you get a lot of benefits from living in the United States, and frankly, you get a lot of benefits from living in New York. New York is expensive, um, you want to, you know, save some money, move to Oklahoma. There won't be a deli on every corner. There won't be a Broadway. There won't be a Metropolitan Opera. So you get a lot of benefits from living in some of those cities. And and uh, the states that don't have an income tax, guess what, Frank? They collect the same amount of money what? through the property tax, the sales tax, the auto tax, the gas tax. You end up paying for government anyway. I often debate people who are opposed to taxes, and I always say to them, gee, how did you get to the meeting hall tonight? Did you build your own highway? No, they drove on a government highway. Somebody's got to pay for that, and we pay for it through taxes. So maybe folks listening to us should think twice before moving to Florida or North Carolina or Texas. I guess that's the message. Uh, yeah, you're still going to pay tax and you're not going to have those fabulous pastrami sandwiches in the deli. In New York. <laughs> Check out the book, uh, A Fine Mess. It's by T.R. Reed, a global quest for a simpler, fairer and more efficient tax system. Why is America's tax code so tax code so crazy, so onerous, so Byzantine in its complexity? It doesn't have to be. New Zealand is not. Japan is not. Many other countries aren't. Read the book and uh, see a couple of things that we can do and as we go into another presidential campaign in 2024, that seems to be the only time we really have a national conversation about taxes, except if it's the every 30 year tax reform debate. Hopefully some of the ideas that are talked about here can at least be part of the debate. And hopefully once you're you're hearing them mentioned, you'll at least be somewhat familiar with them. Mr. Reed, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. I look forward to our next conversation. Me too, Frank. Thanks a lot for having me on your air. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, give me a call, 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead.